Did that do it? Did we restore the past? Well, let's check. Oh, there it is. We did it, Brian. We made 9-11 happen. High five! Well, that, that probably wouldn't look very good out of context. Welcome to the 19th episode of Zero Hour Strikes, the show that covers DC's 1994 crossover event, Zero Hour Crisis in Time, every issue, every tie-in, soon every zero issue. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bass. And in this episode, we take a look at Zero Hour number zero. It's technically the end of the crossover event. It's so exciting. This phase of the show is almost over. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's far from being totally over. Yes, we'll talk about that in the uh, comments section because yeah. <laughs> some people were jumping the gun there. Uh, yeah, Zero Hour Crisis in Time number zero. Of course, it counted down from number four. Before we get into the synopsis, let's talk about that gorgeous cover. <laughs> well, it's it's hard to have a cleaner cover. Yeah, it's just white. Now, at this point, the universe has ceased to exist. The cover is completely white, uh, except for the usual dressings, which you know include the title and the usual tagline, The End of Today. But there's nothing else on here except what you would find. You know, it's, we see these covers all the time now, don't we? Wait, yeah. You know, you can get those blank covers, uh, alternate covers to get uh, sketches from artists at conventions and whatnot. Was this one of the first ones, though? It, it must was... be the first. Well, I mean, it wasn't meant to be that, obviously. It's, you know, the point is not to get an artist to draw on your cover at this point, but it's probably the first blank cover. Wow. Well, I, well, I guess this is history. The end of history. The end of history. The end of time. All right. So um, zero hour number zero. Uh, I, I won't do the timestamps this time because there's no time left. Uh, I guess we're pretty happy about that. Uh, zero hour number <laughs> zero by Dan Jurgens and Jerry Ordway. So bear with me. A white page. A voice. It's the voice of Hal Jordan telling a select few he's recreating the universe Without its imperfections, they are all people he thinks he can count on as allies. Extant, of course, Guy Gardner, uh, and the people who might blink out of existence if the universe were restored as it was. Batgirl, Alpha Centurion, and, despite what we've been told, Triumph. He's going to remake not just the universe, but the multiverse, with room enough for all timelines. But, problematically, Extant's been offered a world to rule, among that number. Uh, on Vanishing Point, Wave Rider has assembled the heroes he deems necessary to recreate the universe as it was, having taken them between seconds as the universe was wiped away. Uh, so we didn't see this happen, but it did. These are Superman, Captain Adam, Hawkman, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Cal Rayner, The Atom, The Ray, Donna Troy, and Damage. Some because they're old friends of Hal's, some because they have energy powers perfect to reignite the Big Bang. So as the universe is recreated by Parallax, uh, but before it solidifies, the heroes attack, and Guy is quick to turn against Hal. The Spectre then shows up to punish Parallax and Extant, which turns the tide, and then Donna, Captain Adam, and the Ray start sucking in the plasma energy of Hal's universe. The Spectre falls, but Parallax is weakened and can't stop Wave Rider from funneling all that energy into damage. Parallax tries to shoot the rookie hero, but Batgirl throws herself between them and makes the ultimate sacrifice. Green Arrow shoots Parallax in the chest. Parallax appears to die as Kyle Rayner holds him. The Spectre bounces back 
and throws all of his energy into Damage, who explodes into a new Big Bang, and the universe reforms as it once did, with subtle differences. Well, you know, tell that to the Legion. <laughs> They're going to reboot it entirely. <laughs> Kyle and Hal are thrown clear to parts unknown while Rave Rider protects the other heroes so they can watch the universe evolve in hyperspeed. Alpha Centurion and Bad Girl's body disappear as their timelines just don't happen, and suddenly we're back in New York. Wave Rider explains that people are going to remember a flash of light and that's it. Unless they were outside time, in which case it all happened, including the Justice Society members' deaths. Jay Garrick asks whether this was all about death, and Power Girl shows up with her new baby son and says, no, it's about life, and that they should feel great. It rings hollow for the readers, I mean, I mean for, the, for Oliver Queen, who <laughs> smashes his bow in rage and grief over the loss of his best friend. Then, montage, Wave Rider is back with the Linear Men, a female-seeming time trapper stands at the end of the universe, and we get to see history as a long fold-out that starts 15 billion years ago and ends on today, showing us all the events relevant to DC's line of comics. True end. Whew. Okay. Whew. So, uh, so yeah. So let's, let's give an overview of our thoughts, and then maybe we can go through it scene by scene. Basically, are you kind of satisfied or unsatisfied about this? The end to this crossover. Uh, it's it's a particular end. The whole extent be doing everything, and then Hal Jordan Parallax just swooping in is uh. Yeah, that's still a problem for you. But well, yeah, yeah, it still is. I, it's just that it's so. It's like a very bad beak. It's, it's a. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of action in this comic. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on, and there's Kirby crackle all over the place, and everything is green and all types of colors, and we're destroying and reforming the universe. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on, but at the end of the day. It's basically Parallax just swooping in and being an asshole. I mean, it's eh, I, I I still don't know how I feel about it all. I mean, the big question is when the fight starts out, Hal is going to remake the universe just as you know it. In fact, the multiverse, except everyone gets to live. Like the JSA would be on a, on their own world. I mean, it's it's a bit like what it used to be. It's basically rebooting the reboot. You're one of the heroes, and you this is Hal Jordan's plan. To remake the universe, except everyone lives. What is wrong yeah. with that? I mean, why are you fighting against that? You know, and there, there's moments like where, you know, Superman's fighting Alpha Centurion, you know, to stop that side. And uh, Alpha Centurion is going to cease to exist if Hal doesn't win. And Superman's going, you just don't understand. I think I understand <laughs> the stakes because Alpha Centurion is probably not just fighting for himself. He's fighting for the entire reality he represents. Like his yeah. Earth, his timeline is at stake. So it really, it's like, I, I don't think that the, the writing really shows us, like the heroes should be a little more thoughtful in this. It seems like a gut reaction. Like, of course, they have to beat Parallax and blah, blah, blah. Of course, because that's a superhero comic and that's what it's about. But it, it just yeah. doesn't feel like anyone has a moral dilemma, except like Guy Gardner, and even so, you know, so there's no moral dilemma. We just have to stop this. We just have to restore the universe as it was. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, well, right now there's no universe. It's all been destroyed. We can't go back. 
we just want the Big Bang to happen as it did. And even that's going to change. Like, WaveRider admits there's going to be subtle differences. So you're not even restoring your own universe. So as long as you're restoring a universe that is going to have differences, why not make those differences positive? And then, you you know, you'll deal with Extant later. Like, oh, Extant got, like, his own universe on the side? Like, he got Earth-3? Who gives a crap? It's, it's like... You know, <laughs> when you could save, like, the JSA that just died. But, of course, that's not the mandate. I'm reading this, and I'm going, well, it just feels like the heroes aren't giving Al Jordan a chance. He used to be one of them. You know, like, later, we would retcon all this and say, well, Parallax was, like, a virus. And and so this yeah, isn't yeah. Al Jordan. It's, it's the virus. And, of course, that would have created a corrupt universe. Uh, yeah, like, like, that's not what's happening at DC right now. So, <laughs> you know, it's it well. just... It just doesn't feel like the stakes are explained well enough for the reaction. And then the other thing that that I got from this is that I've been confusing two storylines together for I don't know how many years, decades. Because I always thought that the end of this, and and I knew going in that wasn't going to happen. Because Zatanna does not appear at all in any of these comics, right? Okay, yeah, no. No. So I knew... I was going to I was going to get to that point and say, you know, and I knew I was wrong about how these events unfolded because my memory was that Zatanna was somehow involved and that Zatanna was kind of casting the spell that would reboot the universe. Like I don't know why I I I think I'm confusing it with Final Night where she does have a role to play at the end to like to stop the ice age or something. But I don't... I'm just going to live check that out because I have Final Night in my hands right now. Okay. Because it's either that or I'm confusing it with, I don't know, maybe, you know, a Justice League cartoon yeah. conclusion. or I have no idea why I'm thinking this. But it's I thought Zatanna is going to make everybody remember the universe and then it's going to unfold. And that's why you need that mix, uh, like a mix of heroes who kind of remember different things. And that's why they bungle up the Legion. Because the Legion is not remembered well because few people met them and know what it's about. Okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm following. Yeah, so that's what I thought it was going to be. It is not that. It is just letting the Big Bang rehappen. Since it's the same matter and energy, it's all going to come up the same. And the discrepancies are really going to just start billions of years in you know it's like they're <laughs> like for the year 3000 it's going to be crap but up to our point it's going to be basically the same with you know a few differences which we're going to find out in zero month or some of them at least so what's the comment what's what are they saying with this story because uh, it's kind of confusing you know you have this powerful godlike uh, superhero ex-superhero who wants to create a multiverse where everybody lives and the heroes that are in this universe are resisting that and and they they basically stop it so is there a bigger message in there is that i don't think there's a, a conscious message i think there is an unconscious one it's a good question i think it's if you look at a top level like on a meta level yeah what it's saying is from this point on, and I believe this is what happened, comics are a editor-driven medium, okay? So, it, okay. It, I mean, the ball starts rolling at Crisis on Infinite Earth, certainly, and there there were times in history where editors were very powerful, Julius Schwartz and, uh, uh, you know, like the, the, the uh, who was it for the Batman books? Anyway, so, th- like, 
like there were very powerful editors who may have been tyrants, may have been abusive. They would order covers and then make people write the story of the cover. You know, it's like, it doesn't, it's like, it's not <laughs> writing first, you know. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. what I mean. So there's that happening. It's always been a bit like that, but I feel like in the new, like in the modern era, there has been a shift to to writing first. You know, hot writers uh, yeah, yeah. and you know, writer owned things and selling books because of the writers. That may start more or less with Chris Claremont, and that that, that would make sense to me to say that. But you know, by the '80s, we've got Alan Moore, we got Grant Morrison, and we're getting like like purer visions. Like yeah. the vision of a writer as something to be sold, to be as something as valuable in comics, rather than nine to five, do the job, it belongs to the company, you're just stooges working in a bullpen. Yeah. And I understand we've got Kirby and, and Stanley and all of those people before that, but, you know, still, it just seems like we were moving towards that. And DC is about to shunt all those kinds of projects into Vertigo, which is its own brand where mm -hmm. people can own their own characters and that kind of stuff where it is more writer based and we're still going to have hot writers in the mainstream universe but it's like we're like this is a really very much an event where the the editor said well we want like a mini crisis we want crisis 2 basically and we yeah. and we want it and i need the jsa to be dead at, at the end of this i need this to be reconfigured i need like all the books that don't work we're going to make them work. We're going to tweak them. Uh, that hasn't really, you know, necessarily helped. But we're going to fix Hawkman. And we're going to reboot the Legion because it's gone dark and weird and then screwed up. We're going to... It's all editors making yeah. these decisions. Even if possibly, you know, writers suggested these changes. It's an editing issue. I think Crisis on Infinite Earths was an editing issue where, you know, we want to destroy the multiverse. We want to get rid of Supergirl. We want to get rid of this and that. So it, it's not like the first of its kind, but the fact that the heroes are doing this just because, because what? Because an editor said to do it. And it's got to unfold yeah. this way. Because We can't save the JSA because an editor decided to kill the JSA. Like to me, like those are like the important decisions in Zero Hour, which is otherwise kind of fluff. To kill off the JSA was like the main point of this. We spent a lot of time on this, and here we need explanations as to why that had to be a permanent event. Even though everything else is erased. Nothing else happened, but this happened. You know? So, it, it, it's, yeah, yeah. So... Since the 90s. So we're gonna see, across you know, mainstream comics in general, an attempt to uh, extreme it up, to image it up. Yeah. So the, 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 the concerns of selling books becomes more of an exercise of the the suits as you like to call them but oh yeah i love to call the them suits that. are saying it's got to look like image it's going to be extreme like image image is selling we need to do image style comics and none yeah. of those comics are as good as well as good as image i don't think image comics were good you know they had like a style that really they were cool they were they cool, were cool. They, and, they were cool and, for a certain demographic and none of the the attempts at marvel or dc to really extreme it up, like to be image, none of those books look as cool. None of those oh, no. books have that e exact quality. You know, well, y you can't put on a leather jacket and shades and be cool. That's not how that works, and that's what they're doing. <laughs> if if being cool was so easy, everybody would be cool. <laughs> being cool is really about uh, having a confidence, and having a confidence is related to being yourself. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, when you're trying to be something else. You are, therefore, 
not cool. Yeah, exactly. You can't decide what your nickname's going to be. <laughs> you can't decide that I'm going to be called Cobra. Everybody's <laughs> going to call you something else. And you don't decide that stuff. You're well on your way to getting called Cobra. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I don't I don't want that. I'm just saying that if... And that's why it's going to happen. <laughs> the only way to be cool is to be yourself. That's the only way. And that's the paradox in there. And and I don't think the suits understand that paradox. You can't just put long hair on Superman and make him cool. You can't throw on a black suit on Superman and make him cool. Superman has to be Superman to be cool. Put him in incredible stories and that's going to make him cool. But you can't jazz him up. That's That's not even a thing. And it's true for the entire DC universe. Just be true to it. Just be true to it. In this book, we had a crisis that did nothing. Well, we're going <laughs> to find out that it did do things in zero months. You know, we're, we're going to see how it actually changed some books. But in terms of the story itself, it took some players off the board. It was supposed to be rejuvenating, by which I mean youthening uh, yeah. the DC line. So let's get rid of some of these older characters. The especially old are gone, but even like older characters like Green Arrow are on their way out and can be replaced by like younger models, just as Green Lantern yeah. just has, just as the Flash had. They're trying to appeal to a teenage market that they were losing. What, 90, 1994, I was 23, okay? So that means that I was moving into that demographic where Vertigo was really appealing to me. Indie comics were really appealing to me. And superhero comics... I was still spending a whole lot of money on that because loyalty and wanting to keep following that big soap opera, you know, but it was getting like stuff like this was not helping. So, you know, at a certain age, you have favorite characters who may be older, but if they get killed off, then that's going to piss you off. Well, yeah. While teenagers won't care because maybe they're meeting these characters for the first time and that's, you know, they're already gone and or they'll never meet them. And that's fine. Yeah. And you want heroes that are going to be, that are going to reflect. But this is the same thinking that, you know, that let's get rid of Spider-Man's marriage and let's get rid of Superman's marriage. And like all these heroes are too old and they don't appeal to kids. Kids can't buy your comics because they're too costly anyway. So I don't see why you're pissing off your actual base. Anyway, uh, let's get back to the comic. rather. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you, you know what? I checked out Final Night. And it's not the one with Zatanna. Okay, um, I have no idea. Then are, are you maybe confusing Zatanna and Scarlet Witch? Are no. you thinking of no? I mean, I don't think so. I looked at others from that time. Uh, for some reason, Cosmic Odyssey. There's no Zatanna in there. So I don't know. Okay, so if somebody has a clue as to how where my head is at, and maybe maybe it's a, like a JLU episode. You know, I I don't know where I'm getting this. What is the story where Zatanna shows up at the end or is there all along, but at the end dreams up the, you know, casts a spell that fixes everything and she needs other heroes to do it. And maybe they're all remembering the universe back into being. Does that ever happen? Is this a fever dream of mine? I want to know. <laughs> what the hell? Um, Have I finally fell off? <laughs> is this how it ends? Tell me. Somebody tell is me. Is it an aneurysm? Tell me. So... <laughs> So, okay. So, the, okay. Well, let's look at the comic page by, well, page by page, sequence by sequence. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it starts with whiteness and then like blobs of green. And then suddenly, you know, we see parallax 
who looks gigantic, but um, I think he's just floating in the air because he's normal size in other scenes. And he's chosen his little group of people to witness his greatness. So there's a lot of hubris here. And among them is, I want to mention this, is, is Triumph. And I thought they made a whole point of this, that Triumph had been in part of the timeline all along and was taken out, and now he's returned thanks to the cracks. But Parallax is, like, treating him as one of the anomalies who, well, maybe you won't exist if uh, the universe isn't recreated with everybody lives mentality. I don't know what – did you get the same feeling that this was yeah. odd? It was odd because that's how it felt. I mean, with almost everybody in this thing, except for Gardner, he's always saying to people, well, you won't exist if you don't follow my rules. Yeah, you, we might also think that of Extant because he, uh, I mean, Hank Hall's timeline is so screwed up. You, you could unexist Monarch and you could unexist Extant then. Uh, I don't know. But it's like if Triumph were an anomaly, he would have disappeared with Bad Girl's body and with. Uh, Alpha Centurion, when the timeline is restored. uh, I I didn't get that. This is where he explains his whole plot. And we've talked about this already. And then we get to Vanishing Point and we see like the other heroes that have been saved by Wave Rider in this case. One of my comments is that on page eight, we have like a little tiff, a little philosophical argument between Hawkman and Green Arrow, which harks back to the satellite era of the Justice League, where those two were, you know, like the conservative and the liberal always bickering. Yeah. Except this isn't that Hawkman, so they don't really know each other, and they're still having that sort of argument. I don't really feel that this Hawkman is actually the hyper-conservative that he was in the 70s and 80s, so I don't know how that plays, but... I I can only hope he's not that conservative as that he was in the 80s. He has all the memories of the previous Hawkman. Don't don't forget that. Yeah, but that Hawkman, who was in the Justice League back then, does not exist. So he did not merge. <laughs> unless, oh, he, yeah. unless he somehow, unless somebody says, oh, okay, you know, that the Hawkman from the Golden Age actually served with the Justice League later, and he's the conservative, but that's not how he was played. So, I don't know. There's so many things in this book. <laughs> anomalies upon anomalies, so who knows? Now the heroes are going to go and fight Parallax. You know what a good reason is to stop Hal Jordan from recreating the universe? Um, there is a good reason. And the reason is, Hal Jordan is the Green Lantern we all mock for the simplicity and silliness of his ring constructs. He's the guy you know, who's creating baseball bats and, and fans and... And big hands. Yeah. And we look at other lanterns like Kyle Rayner's. Oh, look at all this like complicated and interesting, much more interesting constructs that he can make. Yeah. So if Hal Jordan is recreating the universe, I mean, we even see it in this, you know, when the fight with the specter happens, he's not using the ring, but he's using a similar approach and he creates a plasma version of himself. Just really big. (laughs) That and he creates a shitty shield. You know these triangles, shields, at some point where he fights the other heroes? I was like, ah, you're Parallax. You shouldn't be doing shields. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who does that? Yeah, why do you need that? So this would be my reason for Green Lantern not to recreate the universe. He's boring as a creator. (laughs) Yeah, the universe would be beige. (laughs) Well, it'd probably be a uniform green. (laughs) Hal Jordan should be beige lantern. He's Beige Lantern. He's so boring. He's taupe. He's not even green. (laughs) 
that might be a reason. I mean, there are some there's an attempt to some visuals where uh, you know the, the specter throwing chains on Extant and uh, uh, and Hal Jordan. He finally yeah. gets in on the fight, which is one of the things that it was Jay Garrick who you know shook him up and and said. You know, you're a member of the JSA. Where are you during this? Yeah. And this is a rare occasion. Like we we followed uh, all of Invasion, and the Spectre was also in it, and the Spectre was also was sidelined. You know, this is like oh oh, all of you godlike magical beings, you can't fight. Th- this has to be fought on the immortal plane. Yeah, uh, and uh, and they took out all the big mystical guns out of that fight. So this is like for us. And obviously, there have been other crossovers in between and since but from our perspective it's like this is the first time they let one of those mystical big guns do anything and we also had like uh, dr fate you know dr fate also got zapped so and and it was fun to see him come in and and save the day again but i mean in all this philosophical fighting they have the only person that kind of makes sense in all of that is guy gardner at some point he says well you know what I don't know on which side I'm on, but if Parallax is giving extent a world or a, or a universe, it can't be good. So he chooses the other side. He's the only one that sort of states a reason other than this is where the line has been drawn and we're on this side, basically. Actually, he kind of has a moral dilemma. And this is kind of weird because it's coming from Guy Gardner. <laughs> <laughs> he's not the nicest person. So somewhere in there, it's kind of weird that I'm actually following Guy Gardner in his reasoning while I'm reading this book. I won't call it a turning point. It's not like if Guy Gardner doesn't turn, then the fight turns. It's not It's not like that either, you know? I'm looking at who they picked to be in the fight. And of course, there's probably like which ones are popular, which ones are going to go ahead and do other things and that kind of stuff. But yeah. maybe this is what reinforced my Zatanna delusion is that, well, if we have like these, some of these characters are going to be useless in this fight. And in fact, there's a big question as to what's the Adam doing during yeah. this? Why is he in the group? Or even Hawkman. Hawkman serves no real purpose in the fight. But if they're there to remember the Golden Age or to remember, like the Adam has all this physics knowledge. So when they recreate the universe, if Zatanna's casting the spell, then he's sharing his knowledge of the Big Bang and of physics and of, you know, somehow his mind would have guided it along. This may help my delusion. That's not what happens here. There's no... <laughs> no. It just happens. Wave Rider saves a bunch of people and, uh, well, hopefully, hopefully they'll serve a purpose. And some of them don't really. Like, I wish there'd been some real moments where the like green arrow or like former friends of Hal Jordan's try to, you know, plead with him. Yeah. Like, say something that might've broken his concentration, might've broken his spirit, his will to do this, or that he might have turned them. There's no emotional context, you know, that it yeah. just, it's just like, well, there needs to be a fight and the fight happens. Try to get all the people to have at least one moment. Maybe and I'm not sure that even happens. Meanwhile, we're just dumping energy into damage, the new kid on the block, and he's going to basically big bang a new universe out of damage. I don't know if that's a metaphor. <laughs> like we've got a damaged universe. Let's, you know, let's explode the damage. I don't know. But it's probably just a, a quirk of the fact that that's what his name is and, and I'm reading too much into it. I don't know if you're reading too much into it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on and there there are a lot of conflicting ideas when Spectre 
fights Green Lantern and uh, he calls him the Emerald Hypocrite. You know, he says, uh, I'll do my best, uh, Spectre. Emerald Hypocrite, you've condemned an infinite number of souls to death. And Hal goes, well, they'll live again. And the only, the only comeback I, I, you get is, well, it's not up to you. They're not going to be dead. They'll, they'll live again. They'll be momentarily dead. Or non-existent, which isn't the same as dead. No. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's true that Hal Jordan, at this point, had killed a lot of people. Well, if the Spectre wants to avenge the deaths of the Green Lantern Corps and, you know, yes. Or the, even the JSA. Yes. Yes. But, li- I mean, he's talking about the whole universe have been... He's talking about the universe, yeah. yeah. And it's also, like, that panel or that, that sequence, you know, like, the Spectre's shooting beams, that's... Like, he's heat-visioning. Is it really a Spectre thing? Uh, he's no, heat-visioning no. the construct, the giant construct Hal Jordan, like the like Hal Jordan's narcissism made plasma. Yeah. Instead of shooting Parallax himself, who's behind him, unprotected. What's going yes, on here? I don't, I don't think this is well thought out. And then, you know, this is all going to lead to, like, the Spectre eventually falls. So we know Parallax is very, very powerful at this point. But his energy is finite. He's trying to recreate the universe with his plasma, so he's expending energy at a rate that that must be uh, insane, so the heroes can rally. But the whole idea of like shooting into damage, and then and then Parallax is going to try to kill damage to re-release the energy under his yeah. own control, I suppose. And that's where Barbara Gordon in this bad girl. The anomalous bad girl, because she's still Oracle on Earth, or I mean, Earth doesn't exist, so Oracle doesn't. But this is the bad girl from the alternate timeline that sort of appeared in the Batman books and has been kind of stuck there, who I don't particularly like her arc in this, because she, for most of the pages, she's kind of whining about not wanting to die or not wanting to be erased, and that's all she talks about. But eventually... She sacrifices herself. She throws herself in front of... I mean, if Parallax is really that powerful, his beam should have blown away Barbara and Damage. But, you know, maybe he's really weakened at this point. And she saves Damage's life, thereby saving the plan. And it's supposed to be this moment of, well, you know, she really didn't want to die, but she still committed the ultimate sacrifice. And one wonders, you know why it had to be her like is there no one tougher <laughs> to, to to throw I, themselves in front of it but still and it makes like and then you got green arrow holding her in his arms and yeah. this is the moment where i think he feels where he actually did lose his friend this is the moment rather than because that leads green arrow to shoot him yeah with uh just a, a plain arrow but at this point parallax is so weakened that it can pierce his heart. It's kind of a confusing moment because I'm trying to figure out what Green Arrow is feeling. Because Green Arrow is is trying to stop Parallax, hence erasing this Batgirl. Yet when Batgirl takes the bullet for damage, he has this moment. So And he seems to be caring for Batgirl, but I think he's not really caring for Batgirl that much as much as he's... Uh, hurt that his friend will do anything to get to his end. You if know? this were Hal Jordan's first crime, that would be something. But it is like it's played as it's the last drop because I mean, at this point, yeah. he's destroyed the universe. <laughs> That's yeah. a, uh, you know, that like the death toll is is uh, infinite. The more we uh, deconstruct this thing, and the more we talk about it, 
I think this feels a lot like, you know, one of these computer or AI generated <laughs> um, stories where they put stuff in because it makes people feel stuff, but the AI doesn't understand feeling. So he just puts, oh, the death of somebody close, boom, in there because that's what you know, story arcs are. The more we we break this down, the more it feels like this kind of story. It feels like a story that has been uh, constructed by by committee. Mm. And, you know, somebody said, well, you know, somebody's got to die because we need to recreate that Superman, Supergirl moment. And uh, who can we kill? Oh, yeah. And somebody said, well, we could kill Batgirl. She's like the Supergirl for the Batman. All right, let's kill Batgirl. Well, let's What's let's resurrect Batgirl, Batgirl so so yeah. we have her to be killed. <laughs> exactly. Can we kill Batgirl? Well, no, the real Batgirl is now Oracle. She's well, can we resurrect her? Yeah, sure. We can do an alternate universe Batgirl. Are people going to care? Uh, sure. All right, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of feels like a committee-driven story. And the whole thing where Green Lantern and Green Arrow, I mean, the only thing they have in common is Green. Uh, and the fact that... Obviously... They, well, okay, yeah, they, they were the brave and the bold. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I get it. But <laughs> I'm downplaying it. But, you know, all of a sudden, Parallax has, you know, killed the whole... I mean, he's gone rogue and crazy and killed a bunch of people. And, yeah, just now... This liberal thinking, very smart man, all of a sudden has this moment where he's thinking, well, all I have to do is kill Hal now. That's that's what I have. It's my job to kill Hal. It's kind of weird. It's It feels force fed. Well, like he's taking responsibility for, but it's not like he drove Hal Jordan to this at any point that, that oh, at least no, not yeah. that the story tells us. And then, like, the Big Bang happens, and it throws for Hal Jordan to be killed. We've got Kyle Rayner holding him down. And uh, yeah. when the Big Bang happens, they're both thrown clear. Kyle is left for dead. Nobody <laughs> – there's no memorial. It's like, well, I guess he, uh, you know, he got thrown clear of the Big Bang. And who survives the Big Bang? You know, it's not, it's not safe. <laughs> well, uh, to be fair, like, what, a couple months old, nobody really knew him. He was a throwaway lantern. Kyle, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 No, nobody cared at this point. I guess. Obviously, Green Lantern number zero is going to tell us what happened. I mean, I hope. I hope. So this is left as sort of a cliffhanger. And then the heroes who all survived the Big Bang, obviously, are they're in a bubble. And they're going to see, we're going to see an accelerated version of history unfolding. Yeah. And it does, I do have questions about it. And I hope that Zero Month is going to answer some of these. Hopefully. Well, one of them is like on page 23, we're seeing the, dy like, at first the universe is just created, and we don't care about other planets, we only care about our, our own. So, uh, yeah. on page 23, the Earth is created, I'm not sure that's Pangea, but we've got dinosaurs, we've got Atlantis, uh, all of this stuff, we, and we've got uh, the Egyptian civilization rising, there's a reference to Shazam. Yeah, that's cool, that's fine, I'm done with that. And there's also one to the Blue Beetle. To the Blue Beetle, that's just beside the Shazam reference. You could think it's going to be the return of the archaeologist. Uh, what's his name for the first Beetle there? Dan Garrett. Dan Garrett. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not. It's not. It's not. There's not like a Blue Beetle series coming up. This has a better tie-in to the like the like Jaime's Blue Beetle, like the new Blue Beetle that's not going to come out yeah. for years. So. I don't know. I don't know why it's there. I guess we love Blue Beetle. Then on the next page, page 24, 
there's like this reference to a huntsman who stalks mankind 1500 years ago. And that's going to tie in into the the new Manhunter series. Uh, okay. Okay. But I, I still don't like it. You don't like it because in that frame, he's chasing Frodo and, <laughs> and some small uh, there, person. I'm not sure that's Frodo. Uh, Sa- it's Samwise Ganji for sure. Uh, uh, maybe it's Samwise and, and that old Mr. Something that gave them the stink eye when they were, they look like hobbits. Yeah. The way they're cut off but also i mean yeah. like this the reason i don't like it when there are many new series going to come out manhunter is only one of them and it gets like basically the top of a page like it gets the biggest oh. showing and it just looks odd and i don't care about this new history yet so i don't want to see 1500 years ago i want to see the demon you know 50, i don't know what the, yeah. the years would be but i want to see camelot i want to see the demon i want to see parts of dc history that i am already invested in this yeah. man yeah. hunter thing is still nothing. I feel like that's a mistake to put it there. We also see like um, like Jonah Hex is in there. Yeah. yeah. There's a moment of Ganthet's tale, uh, which is like a Green Lantern story and seeing like the, the like those, those original Guardians doing things. You know, there's like these moments that are sort of interspersed here and there uh, as part of that history. So that's fine. Then we're in New York. Okay. I think the first idea that there's a change, the first thing that we see that, okay, something's changed, is Guy Gardner himself. Because he's now no longer in his red armor, and he's got, like, these tattoos. Like, suddenly, he's got a different power set yeah. that we're going to explore in his own book. But that's a really kind of cheap way to to, like, to change a character. It's like, well, I mean, it's it, doing an entire crossover to change a character, it's, it's a lot. I mean, you're going to reboot some histories, but in his case, he's like, what? History changed while he wasn't looking, and he doesn't even have those memories of, of yeah. the change. But at least we see that there are changes. Uh, I think that's the function here. And then well, there's, there's the ending with Power Girl. I, I, you know, I put it in the synopsis. Power Girl shows up. She's got the baby. She's been in labor all this time. Yeah, yeah, the baby. Um, and, uh, and she's got this message of hope. What did you think of this particular... I don't know if I want to call it an ending, a coda. You know when I was saying that this feels like a AI generated story? Okay. This is probably the ultimate AI generated moment cuz we we never cared about Power Girl being pregnant. I mean, it wasn't part of the story. It was a side quest at best. I mean, it wasn't an an issue. It wasn't something important. It was just something that was there. And all of a sudden, we have to turn around and say, oh, well, we have life with the baby being the symbol of this life. I mean, it's so cheap. (laughs) It's so (laughs) force fed. I didn't care when she was in labor. I was wondering, why aren't you not in a hospital or, you know, with a midwife? Do something like that. Midwife was I the mean, Wonder Woman, I think. It's probably part of the Amazon power set. I mean, that, uh, it's probably part of the training. Don't get me wrong. But it wasn't important to the story. It had nothing. It brought nothing to the story. And it still doesn't bring anything to the story. I absolutely hate it. <laughs> I, I got uh, More than you. <laughs> I mean, her child is not born of the crisis. 
No. So it would have been born anyway. So it's yeah. got nothing to do with, oh, well, good thing things happened the way they did or else I wouldn't have a baby. No, you became pregnant like two or three years ago in comics time uh, in, in Justice League International. And now this is the end of that arc. And then, you know, you know what? After a year, spoiler, the baby's going to grow super fast and become like an adult character yeah. with powers and whatnot. And after a year, he's gone and he's never spoken of again. So... <laughs> See, he grows very quick and then he explodes. <laughs> just, this is what you it's, He's just gone. So the baby would have been born anyway. You know, you can't erase the death of the of their friends. Like for, for Jay Garrick to feel really bitter about this is, I think, very normal. At this point, he must think Wally West is still dead. Because Wally was one of the yeah. first to, to disappear into the time wave. And he's not here. He's not in New York. Everybody must think he's dead. I think he's dead at this point. He's going to remember a flash of light, Bess. And, uh, and he's fine. I, I know better, but, you know. Yeah. And for Jay, for Jay, he not only lost a number, like three, I think three JSAers, three or four, I guess we count Dr. Fate. Yeah. Three or four JSAers were killed and he himself has been wizened and other JSAers have been like gotten like super old. So they are all forced to retire. Like this is all happening, but his protege, like the younger version of himself has also been killed from his perspective. So power girl going, yay, I got a baby. I I'm sure you're very happy <laughs> that your child is born and all of this stuff, but what, uh, like what a false moment. I think green arrow sums it up he just looks at her and says right and then he walks away and, and then he smashes his bow and he's like super angry that he had to kill a friend that his friend went bad that he himself was at the re really at the end of his rope when we saw him in his own comic it, it was like like this is old man green arrow and you know it's all been falling apart for a while i think yeah. so he's sick of it but we do see that he remembers their friendship there there's that like in a serpent where like their younger selves are palling around. And then there's the, there's this weird moment. It's a weird moment because where it takes place. We have like a, a chat between the various network hosts. Yeah. And uh, I had to ask. I had to like put up the pictures and say, guys, where is Green Arrow in this? What is this? I was trying to find the significance because like the building that he walks in front of, and then there's raging at the sky. There's a statue in the background. And I'm like going, well, is this yeah. significant? Is this like an allusion to something? Obviously it has to be something in New York. And I, I couldn't place it. And uh, the guys did some like quick research. Basically he's at the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian. That's the building. Okay. okay. I, I think like the American Indian or like natives, uh, this is still like a really old timey kind of way to say it, but uh, Native Americans yeah. and Green Arrow have a connection. You know, there are some versions of the Green Arrow story where he is taught, you know, bow and arrow by Native Americans. And I know that's certainly Speedy's story. So, yeah. so there's like the, the bow and arrow is basically the connection. We don't really know what, like it's a museum. So is it an image of history and the history between the two friends? Is it the, the, the Native American connection? I'm not sure. The statue that he's raging in front of is actually the Africa statue. There are like four statues around that building and each one is representative of a different continent. And this one's okay. Africa. It's all over the place. I, 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 I think I, it's just I, like photo reference and putting something in New York, but it doesn't yeah. quite thematically connect properly. This ending is not representative of the story also. If this is a story about two friends, one who has 
no powers, who's only exceptional with a bow and arrow. And the the other one has incredible cosmic godlike powers. And this is the conflict where the human kills the god. Why didn't we get that from the beginning? Yeah. Why isn't it a Green Arrow, Green Lantern story from the beginning? Why isn't it? Why is this all happening in the last issue? Yeah. Good point. I mean, I feel kind of robbed. This is a more interesting story. Even if the story is about Hal Jordan and his wanting Mm -hmm. to fix past mistakes, and it's basically a redress of uh, the one where he tries to recreate Coast City. Yeah. It's kind of that on on a universal scale. Even so, if it's that's the story, then we got like three or four issues of crap with Extant. Not yeah. actually the main villain, just a pawn, that yeah. then Hal Jordan shows up as a reveal. So we can't have Green Arrow from the beginning because we don't have Hal Jordan from the beginning. So it, it just like the pacing of this is, is so odd. And we end up with, uh, you know, a real villain. Uh, at the end of the story, who's not the actual villain from the, you know, since the beginning of this story slash plot. And we have this <laughs> totally hurt, broken hero at the end that we haven't seen that much. And his issue that we covered had no words in him. Oh, no. And it wasn't about this friendship at all. or There was no connection no. to this. So this is all you know, pulling at heartstrings at the end of a story and it's awful. It feels like a goddamn computer generated. It was story. never earned. So then we get into like the proper epilogue and uh, oh, this is the panel where we see in the background, we see uh, the Ganteth's tale stuff. So we yes. know Krona and all of this stuff. And then there's like these panels at the end of the universe with a new time trapper. Now, I've got some information on this. Because oh. why is now the time trapper a female character as it appears to be? Good question. Well, I've always thought that, you know, every version of the universe, at least every version of the Legion timeline has a different time trapper. Like the 5YL era, uh like the original continuity, I guess had a Time Trapper who turned out to be Cosmic Boy, as we saw in the Legion tie-ins. This version of the universe, then there's a new Time Trapper. And there's always going to be a new Time Trapper because the Time Trapper is sort of the manifestation of the timeline. And the Time Trapper turns out to be Superboy Prime in the post-Infinite Crisis universe because in Final Crisis, that's revealed. So the Time Trapper is always someone we know who kind of manages to get to the end of the universe somehow. But we don't know who, necessarily. In the comics themselves, because I read the whole reboot era, Shotgun and I, Shotgun from Ohadmore not, and I uh, both mm-hmm. participated in the um, in doing an entire read-through and comic-by-comic comic review on the uh, Legion of Super Bloggers blog. People can check that out. In that, the writers sort of decided that the, the Time Trapper was going to be Lori Morning, a new character. She's a little okay. girl. Uh, she gets caught up in a time wave kind of stuff, you know, and she gets brought to the 30th century or 29 something, 2990s. And she really wants to be a hero, but she's a little girl. So, you know, she gets, she gets the the dial H, but they keep like referencing that maybe she is that universe's version of Glorith, who is like the female version of time trappers who once replaced the time trapper, deposed the time trapper and took his place and corrupted the timeline. We saw her in the Valor issues when we covered that for um, the invasion epilogue. 
Lori Morning was sort of the character that they were sort of pushing as to say she is the new Glorith. But that's the idea of the Legion writers. Here's what Dan Jurgens was actually going for. I found this. His intention was, imagine that if we saw her better and in color, she would have red hair. So she was supposed to be the Barbara Gordon that we just saw killed. Okay. Is somehow, because the universe is sort of big banging around her, like she becomes the time trapper. So the time trapper at the end of the universe is Babs Gordon, is bad girl. Nobody (laughs) followed up on that. Like, (laughs) if that was Jurgen's idea... And he told people, I would hope he told somebody, uh, nobody followed up on that. The Legion writers didn't go for that. Nobody used that ever again. So that's like a missed opportunity. Does it change the way you see the bad girl death or I don't know? It's kind of a weird thing where a Barbara Gordon would be the time trapper, which would be somewhat of an oracle in a way, in a mystical way, I'm guessing. And she's Oracle in her everyday life. So that's kind of a little poetic thing, but it could have been something nice. You're right. It's like it's creating a character that's sort of a, sort of a mastermind, pulling the strings, at least in the Legion's era. Yeah. In the yeah. way that Oracle, the, you know, the center of that network of heroes in the present. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. It's just it, it's not. It's just where are you going to go with that? And nobody ever did, so it's wasted potential. And if that's the point of the story, the point of having Barbara Gordon in the story at all is to make her the time trapper. It feels a little bit like the that all that Pandora stuff in the New Fifty Two. It just never nothing ever comes of it. At the end of the day, this is just a uh, little piece of trivia that I offer you. <laughs> so all that. For a piece of trivia. You know, that's all it became. Yeah. Then we're we're heading for that big timeline thing, but first there's like an ad. Uh, I think we should mention it because it announces Zero Month, and we've got Heroes of the Past going into the circle of the Zero Hour, and then Heroes of the Future coming out of it. And I say that knowing that Batman, <laughs> Batman is on the side <laughs> of the Heroes of the Future, but it feels like... Because if when I look at the, the people going in, it looks like these are stars... Of Zero Hour. Yeah. You got Bad Girl, you got Wave Rider, you've got Dr. Fate, who's not going to exist by the end. In addition to Superman, Kyle Rayner, who presumed dead, and Robin in there. And so on the other side, we do have some of the new faces. We've got the new Starman, we got the new Manhunter, we got the new Fate character. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Plus Superboy and um, Impulse, or young heroes, and then Wonder Woman and Batman, just to balance it out, who, whose stories are never going to end, essentially, I, I guess is one way to see it. And who's the guy with the big cape? The big That's Manhunter. That's the new Manhunter. Manhunter. Yeah. We'll meet him soon. Yeah. Spawn. He looks like Spawn. See? We're trying to be him. We're trying to be cool. And behind those pages is all the zero issues, which we will cover and they're all listed here for collectors. Ooh. Now the gatefold. And there's these like multiple pages. It folded out the longest gatefold in comics history at the time, I'm sure. You know, you pull it out <laughs> and you got the entire it's it's two-sided, of course. So you got like half you get to like Krypton exploding, and then you have to turn the page and you've got all the modern history that follows, you know. And I want to talk about this gatefold timeline because I do think it's a cool idea. And at the time, I felt the same. It addresses the sliding timeline is what is nice about it. Because according to the end of it, we know certain things and they remain true even if the calendar moves faster uh, for us, you know. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, normally you're saying, well, how old is such and such? And, well, 10 years from now, he's still going to be that age. You know, so you can't put a date on it. You can't say 
the invasion happened in 1989 because like zero hours, five years later, but nobody's five years older. Yeah. Except the JSA. So, uh, uh, so according to this timeline, kind of an internal, it's always happening five years ago, like 10 years ago. And in 10 years, it's still going to be 10 years ago or so, you know, is, is, is the idea here, uh, not setting those dates in, in cement. And so from this, we find that Superman is 33, Wonder Woman is 25, which is, I feel a bit young for her, but maybe in this timeline. Batman's parents died 25 years ago, which could put him in the 33-year-old range as well. Like Superman makes his debut 10 years ago, is the way they say it. And all the early heroes jump on the bandwagon. They create the Justice League. This is all 10 years ago. What's interesting is that there are heroes before that. So the, like the very Silver Age characters, Metal Men, Challengers of the Unknown, Metamorpho, Dead Man, Sea Devils, Cave Carson, Sarge Steel, Sarge Steel, Doom Patrol, uh, Animal <laughs> Man, which I feel should not be that old, and Swamp Thing are all like 15 years ago, 12 years ago. You know, they're all from before yeah. Superman's time. So he launched something, but he was far from the first. Obviously, there was the Golden Age heroes before that, way before that. And then in, across the last 10 years, they try to fit every active hero. You know, Teen Titans eight years ago and then so on. The Crisis on Infinite Earths is still called that absurdly. And it happened four years ago. Four years ago, there was still have been just one Earth according to this timeline. But, you know, you, we know Red Skies four years ago, and then everything else that since then has sort of happened in the last four years, which I'm sure makes sense, you know, unless you look at how many adventures Batman has had. <laughs> well, well, yeah. And then in the earlier stuff, I've got questions like, like, what the heck is the thing about the first woman killed by man's aggression? I, I, feel, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to tie into something. <laughs> I don't know because it's it's still pretty far from the Amazons being born. So yeah, it's a hundred thousand years ago. It's cavemen, and the guy could very well be. You know, you could imagine that this is Vandal Savage or something. But they're not talking about that. It's just first woman killed by man's aggression, not Cain and Abel, or not the first murder. The first woman killed, and I so I, are, I don't know where I, this is going to fit in. Is this going to be like? There's there a zero issue that's going to tie into this? It's a very nasty moment. To decide to put, and they even put an image of, you know, it's not just like words. It's like they put a drawing of it. Yeah. So where did this fit in somewhere? Is it Vandal Savage's first crime? They don't say it's Vandal Savage. I don't know what this is. And also it sort of speaks to not there being men and women elsewhere in space, because this is just on Earth, of, of course. Of course. And everything before that, we, you know, let's talk about the... Guardians of the Universe and the Controllers, and this is all like four billion years ago. I'm sure there was like murders back then as well, or on other planets. We're not the first planet to have life. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, because they go like Homo Magi, Birth of Atlantis, Immortal Man, and Vandal <laughs> Savage. Now, this is uh, 100,000 years ago, or somewhere between 100,000 and 50,000 years ago. And in there is the first woman killed by man's aggression. So I don't know why that's in there, and I hope the zero issues will tell me, because otherwise, I feel like this is, I, I, th this makes me uncomfortable. It does. Like, you know, 5000 BC, Dr. Mist. Like, I know that's going to, that's the lead in to Primal Force, which is one of the comics that's going to launch out of this, to mention Dr. Mist, because otherwise, who gives a crap? <laughs> you know, it's like, we got a picture of Arion, Lord of Atlantis, but we're just going to mention Atlantis, Atlantis sinks 50,000 years ago. Arion's in the picture. 
We don't mention Arion, but we're going to mention Dr. Mist. You know, so I, I know it's because he, he gets a series. But this this murder, I don't know what it is. <laughs> the murder we talk about, yet we also have this weird thing where Triumph makes his debut, <laughs> then disappears. And it's mentioned. Yeah, you know, it's like, of course, it's stuff that's in the comics right now. And then we're going to pay lip service to Tomahawk and Jonah Hex and... And the Balloon of Buster, course. you know, it's like the classics. Camelot, and we got like naked Jason Blood behind the, the demon. So, sure, like DC history, the Golden Gladiator, all of this stuff. So this moment, which takes up a lot of real estate, I, I don't know what it is. The other thing that disturbs me, and this is totally from a proofreader's point of view, it bugs the hell out of me that they say Birth of Atlantis, but Amazon race born. Why isn't this consistent? <laughs> but the, the murder thing really... I, I find upsetting. I find upsetting. It is. I've been talking a lot. Any thoughts on uh, on this gatefold at all? It's great. I think uh, we all need this gatefold or something like this. Every time there's a reboot, this should be uh, mandatory. Sure. And should be public. Every time we reboot whatever uh, or we make, uh, uh, you know, this one event that'll undo or do things to the continuity – because I guess that's a big thing, or was a big thing. I'm, I'm not really sure what's going on with hyper time now. We haven't said that for a while. <laughs> this is cool, but some things on there. This is like the, a great start for like this huge wiki type page. You know, this would be great where you could have the entire history in minute details of the entire DC universe. That'd be great. Somebody should do that. Yeah, month by month, week by week, week by. We week. want to know what was happening on that date in the DC universe, so that it all makes sense. Like how much fighting, and you know, how many things have Superman done since? How many punches since Crisis? There should be a punch count. A punch count. <laughs> it's fun. It's a fun thing to have, but I mean, yeah. How long did it last? Can we still count on this thing? Well, I mean, obviously, time has, has moved on even so. You know, things that happened four years ago, like Lobo came to Earth three years ago. Well, you know, by now, if we say the timeline is the same, the rebirth timeline is the same as this. Well, by now, it's been more than three years since Lobo showed up, you know. Yeah. yeah. So are we are we still counting since zero hour? That's what I'm asking, because uh, these efforts are to, you know, kind of set time so we don't. Ask the question, well, how old is Superman and Batman and why are they still heroes? You know, that's basically why people do this. And you could uh, say that this is a good reason not to do it. Well, yeah, nobody needs this. But, uh, you know, if you're going to do it, are we still in there or how quickly are we going forward? I, I think the way to calculate it, if you're going to calculate it in any way. OK, let's take a character that was new back then. OK. Let's take mm -hmm. like somebody who is essentially today. When they say today, today, Superman is killed by Doomsday, later revived. That's today. That means yeah. it's this year. So we can ask, like maybe it's hard to ask, okay, well, how many years since Superman got killed? That may be hard to ask because he's got so many adventures. But like I think Cal Rayner is a great point of, uh, of interest here because we say Cal Rayner has just debuted this year. Like this week, basically. Yeah. What happened in his life? He had like this whole career and then he went on to, to Oa. You know, he was in like the honor guard on Oa and all of this. Yeah. Like how old is he now? How many years since he's been Green Lantern? 
in, yeah. in the proper. Yeah. So if we say, oh, well, you know, uh, we need for that, all of that to happen. We need I don't know, four years in superhero time. Then you, you can add four years to everything. Okay. I mean, that might be a way to do it, but then you're going to look at Batman and Superman and you're going to go, well, these guys haven't aged an extra four years, you know, yeah. physically. <laughs> I don't know. You know, there's there's ways to, to kind of track it, but I don't think it's ever going to be consistent. No, no, because we don't want them to age. See, that's the thing. And, and, and if we make them age, well, we have to reboot every four years and make them younger, make them younger. And all of a sudden, Superman's... 22 and nobody believes he has the moral fiber to be a superhero with infinite power, you know? So what we want to do is stop the aging. And I think I have uh, an idea and it's radical. Okay. But I will share. How about we do this and bear with me. How about we treat the comic books like comic books and not like real life? (laughs) And in that way, the 60s stuff can still be uh, entertaining now because we're not like, you know, Superman's all old because he was older then than he is now. Yeah. yeah, he had like an older face. <laughs> Nobody's asking why Bart Simpson isn't aging because he's a cartoon. That's why. <laughs> well, there you go. Okay, so uh, we're going to take a short break. And <laughs> when we return, your feedback on our previous episode. Dr. Fate. Dr. Midnight. Starman. Johnny Quick. Wildcat. Power Girl. The All-Star Squadron. Spectre. Firebrand. Amazing Man. Huntress. Cyclone. Sandman. Mr. Terrestrial. Commander Steel. Seven Soldiers of Liberty. Liberty Infinity Incorporated. Those are just some of the celebrated and beloved heroes associated with Earth 2 and the Justice Society of America. These daring mystery men and women banded together in 1940 to form the first super team in comics. They inspired a decades-long legacy of heroes who would follow in their footsteps. And now they've inspired us to launch a new podcast. Justice Society presents a new anthology on the Fire & Water Podcast Network featuring a variety of themed shows with different hosts celebrating some of their favorite comics and characters associated with the golden age of comics, Earth 2, the JSA, and beyond. Join the fight for justice and subscribe to Justice Society Presents on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Letters lost in time. Letters lost in time. These are excerpts from your comments on our coverage of Catwoman and Anima's tie-in issues. But first of all, uh, you know, as soon as people read or heard that we were covering the last tie-ins, they all jumped on me to tell them what show we would do next. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so let me say. I was wondering the same thing. No, let me say this loud and clear. (laughs) You know, we do say at the top of the show that we will cover all the zero issues. So this is far from over. Yeah, very far. <laughs> even even though we'll be covering multiple comics every month, we've still got like th- 14 more episodes, monthly episodes planned, okay? So yeah. it's going to be a long epilogue. Do not ask me what's next. I live in the moment. I'm an improviser, so is Bass. We live in the present. Yeah. <laughs> There's only the present. We are comic books. There's only the present. Right. 14 months in comic book time, it's at most two weeks for a comic book character. Oh, yeah. But for us, it's 14 months, okay? So we're going to be done with this summer of 2022. Yeah. So don't, don't, yeah. don't ask. Don't ask what's next. Even if I gave you an answer today, please leave me 14 months to change my mind. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Don't give us our next job before we're done with this one. Exactly. So on to the proper feedback. We start with Chris Franklin. Uh, he helps us out on the obscure Catwoman costumes Selina sees in the mirror. The red mask one was from the late Silver Age, but was forever immortalized, he says, in the Mago World's Greatest Superheroes toy line. Of course, he would know. The tiger-like costume is actually from a very obscure Elseworlds one-shot called Batman the Last Angel from uh, 1994. He says, oh, wow. Yeah, he says, I bought the Catwoman book for quite a while during this era, but other than balance art and all the crossovers with the other Bat titles, I don't recall... I uh, don't really recall much about the stories. As a young man in my late teens and early 20s, I appreciated balance art more than I do now because, yeah, it's often completely ridiculous despite having a lot of kinetic energy. I remember the house ads for Anima, but that's about it. I kept thinking DC would put her, Robin, Superboy, Impulse, Damage, and the Ray in a new Teen Titans group. And then Jurgens came up with his all-new team, plus Teenage Adam. My team idea had to wait for Young Justice. And by then, Anima was already forgotten. But it's true. Like, those heroes ended up in Young Justice. And Young Justice was just a new version of the Teen Titans, yes. really. Yeah. Like, the Teen Titans grew up. You know, they had to invent a new thing. And Young Justice yeah. has a lot of legs. I mean, you know, became a cartoon or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and, and I still enjoy these cartoons. and. Yeah. And, you know, I enjoyed the comic book, Young Justice. It, it kind of revived my love of the Teen Titans um, just because they didn't have any Teen Titans. They had these Teen Titans and Titans and all kinds of stuff. But I just wanted the, the you know, the sidekicks. That's what I wanted. Yeah. So uh, Young Justice was great for that. Alan White says, while warning that the possible consequences of having a villain called Anima be called Anima, Bass casually said, opening the floodgates. You, apparently, you killed him with that. <laughs> uh, on purpose? It, not it, on purpose? It was calculated. No, no, it was no. Yeah, no, it's not on purpose. I have this French accent. That's what we don't know what, what the words are. Yes, exactly. We don't know. We don't know. Jesus Christ. Oh, we don't know. Is this an expression? <laughs> it is a. It is a diarrhea expression. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I don't know the subtleties there. Yeah. I sort of want to do. Uh, What's his name? Batrock in the Marvel Universe, the movies. Um, Georges Saint-Pierre. Uh, Georges Saint-Pierre. Georges yeah. Saint-Pierre. Okay, this is my mini rant. It has nothing to do with anything, but <laughs> Georges Saint-Pierre. What, what is he, a wrestler? No, he's a MMA. MMA. Okay, he's a fighter. Okay. Incredible champion. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. You, well, you, you've seen him as Batrock in the movies and now on TV. So, um, the thing is, Batrock in the comics is French from France. Georges is not. He's a Quebecer. No. And then in the movies, they go out of their way to say he's an Algerian malcontent and is like an Algerian terrorist. So now he's Algerian, and that is also <laughs> not the right accent that he's – like he's barely trying to do an accent. Yeah, yeah. He sounds like a guy from Montreal. He's, he's, he is a guy from Montreal, you know, wherever he's actually from. But he's a guy from Quebec. He has this Quebec accent. Americans aren't supposed to recognize any – you know, difference between our accents, but th it's an absurd moment when yeah. Batroc, the French, now Algerian, shows up and he's a Quebecer. And and you could have done a Quebecer malcontent. That is their the national spirit. You, there are <laughs> Quebec separatists. There, I mean, there, 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 yeah. you could have, if you wanted <laughs> Jean Saint-Pierre to be Batroc and wanted him to be some sort of terrorist, there is a history of terrorism in Quebec from the 70s. Obviously, it's, it's, yeah, it's like yeah. a long time ago. You know, friends of this network will know that Plastique, was in the FLQ, so she was also like a Quebec terrorist. 
kind of out of date as well because she shows up in the 80s and it's like plastique <laughs> man you know? well i mean the georges saint pierre thing is as absurd as if we were watching a french movie and they said somebody was from i don't know london but he had this accent from Brooklyn. It's what it is. It's so weird. Yes. And if you've seen, um, you know, uh, uh, Falcon and, and the Winter Soldier, yeah, uh, he's in there. And I, I thought of him immediately because the first character you see that speaks French in that first episode has an abominable accent. It's obviously an American trying to do French. It's awful. And I thought, oh, my God, this is worse than Georges St. Pierre as Batroc. Boom. <laughs> He's on screen. So, anyway. <laughs> well, at least this time, uh, Georges Saint-Pierre is actually trying to do an accent. I actually, in yes, in the show, he kind of yeah. neutralizes his accent, so you might think he might be more of a French national or... Yeah, he sounds, yeah. he has this little French, He's a little you know, better from France, and it's a little better, and I, I noticed. But in the movie, which one was it? Winter Soldier? Is that the... Yeah, Winter Soldier, yeah. yeah. In the movie, it's... It's almost uh, Chris de Tabarnak, Capitaine d'Amérique. It's almost, <laughs> it's almost Québec. <laughs> Voyons donc, Capitaine, qu'est-ce qui se passe, And th that's not our accent either, you know, we're, we're like no, putting no. on these, we're Acadians, so. And we love Montreal. Let's go on. I'm sorry, this is all, uh, yeah. I mean, just, we just saw it, so. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah, yeah excited. So Martin Gray, too, found it very funny, the floodgates comment. Uh, he says that image was probably more entertaining than the comic. I never tried the series. It sounded a little too intellectual for my pea brain. I like superheroes whose abilities are easy to grasp. I never tried this Catwoman series either. Too much boobage. Plus, I hated the Frank Miller revamp. Catwoman is the lady who reformed and was romancing Bruce Wayne in the early 80s. There's nothing wrong with being a sex worker. But that was a rewrite that wasn't needed for Selena. Martin's old school. David S. Gutierrez says balance work kept me from taking Catwoman seriously. The writing was always fair to good, but visually it just didn't mesh for me. Yeah. I mean, you, you think of a cat burglar, you think somebody's slinky, you can get into like tight spots. And, you know, she was a bit too voluptuous for that particular image. Yeah. Ange says, uh, I can admit that I would often admire the Catwoman covers during this run, but rarely bought the book. As for Anima, I didn't get much of the Bloodlines annuals, but I did collect Anima, at least the first handful of issues. I like the trope of teenage heroes learning to deal with powers and do the right thing. As a Supergirl fan, I look to Anima as a possible replacement given that the Matrix Supergirl wasn't fitting the teen hero mold. But the stories and the art were just too nutty, so I dropped it quickly. And then Diablo Frank says, People forget that Nightfall was more than just the breaking of the bat, but also a concerted effort to create a line of bat titles to better exploit related IP. Well, that certainly paid off. Catwoman goes from neglect to a new costume and her first ongoing solo title in just outside of a year. Jim Ballant had caught my eye doing the odd cover for stuff like Scimitar and some exceptional Batman fill-ins, including one of the better Bloodlines annuals. Besides the pretty art, Catwoman got an embossed cover and another female writer. I'm glad DC thought enough to have women write women, but I think you also have to get the right female scripter. And I didn't feel like Joe Duffy was it. Duffy would have been better a better fit on a good girl over a bad one. I think that Duffy is a moral-minded writer who couldn't handle the ambiguity of the character without implicit judgment, so I didn't feel that she found her in with the character. So Catwoman came off as unsympathetic. More importantly, she never wrote stories 
that suited Catwoman, and I didn't get the feeling that she liked or understood Selina Kyle. As for Anima, you'd think Frank would defend the character, huh? born of bloodlines? <laughs> he doesn't? Well, since he podcasted about them, I thought, yes, but no. This He says, despite my stated interest in the bloodlines characters, the ones developed beyond the event were not the ones that had worked for me. With the exception of Hitman, who became a recurring character in The Demon, and whose solo series was essentially a spinoff of that title, years removed from uh, Bloodlines and largely scrubbed from any Bloodline connection. So it was between Jam and Anima for the bottom spot of all the Bloodlines. Out. My strong impression is that Paul Whitcover wanted to get in on that epic Barkerverse action and hitch himself to the more notable author, Elizabeth Hand, to pitch to DC. Vertigo launched a few months ahead of Bloodlines, so I figure that's where they were headed. But DC was trying to con as many people as possible into signing over new IP for the summer event. I figure editor Rob Simpson either offered a consolation prize to uh, the rejected Vertigo proposal or actively lured the authors over to the superhero side with the promise of a more lucrative ongoing series. Tim Price asks, so is Anima the new guardians of this event? What the heck is going on in this comic? I have no idea and a crossover with an event is a terrible introduction. I would consider giving the series a chance, but the only issues available digitally are this one and number zero. It's kind of telling. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you won't find this one easily. On bargain bins, I guess. On that note, we have to mention that the Fire and Water Podcast Network has a Patreon page. So if you like our content, please think about making a one-time or monthly donation, the amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards. Get on the zero list at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Just like these fine folks did. They got on the zero list. It means they are going to escape the cataclysmic time wave that's coming from both ends of history. Jim Bal has been saved from the Cave Bear Clan's tedious barbecue. David Capoon has been saved from Coast City before Mongol shows up. Michael Bailey has been saved from the Five Years Later era, so now he can shave. And Diablo Frank has been saved from a long drop into Skartaris. A reminder that you can leave us comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also follow the Fire and Water Facebook page and on Twitter, the account is FW Podcast. You can also listen to the show on Spotify, as it turns out. So that's it. That we're done. We're, we're done with this phase of it. What? We're we're oh, I hopefully hopefully the next phase will be exciting and new. <laughs> Stay well, aboard. Know, <laughs> we're expecting you. You know, I'm I'm wishing I'm wishing for a lot of new great starts for some great superheroes. That's what I'm wishing for. Zero and- month. <laughs> Soon we'll be making another continuity. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> but yeah, I, I hope we're going to see like a lot of new superheroes or superheroes with their own comic books and doing awesome things. So I'm still hopeful, people. Still hopeful. Yes, it's a it's a new day for the DC universe. Next time on Zero Hour Strikes, Batman's Zero Issues.